Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we begin a new series that will take us a few weeks focusing on the definition and the nature of the gospel, which is the good news of the Christian message. Today's message will zoom in on the oldest New Testament creed and the foundation of our faith. And we will examine some key aspects of the gospel that are often held in direct opposition to the influence found in our current culture. Thanks for listening as we seek to define the gospel and frame our understanding of it from what the Bible displays rather than the influencing pressures from our world. Imagine somebody goes to the doctor and there they get the diagnosis. They have a very rare blood disorder, a kind of anemia or leukemia. And the doctor says the only solution, the only remedy for you is a continual blood infusion, a transfusion from healthy blood to replace yours that is broken. You would find that you would have to continually walk around with one of those... um, I don't know what they're called, those little racks they hang the blood bags on, right? Whatever them are called. And uh, you'd have that stuck right in you, all the while knowing it is giving you life. And without it, you will die. I think that is a kind of metaphor as to what it looks like to live the Christian life. You have broken blood. It has been corrupted by sin. And this world along with you in it, is being kept reserved for judgment. That is not any place that we would want to find ourselves, but God has an infusion of blood, a transfusion to replace the kind we have with with perfect, healthy blood. And that comes from the blood of Jesus. Now, I know that metaphor can only really go so far, but I think it's a helpful picture for us to really contemplate what it means to hold on to something that you can't produce in and of yourself. You actually have to look outside yourself. The answer doesn't come from within. The answer actually cannot be concocted from within. It's something that has to be offered to you. And then once it is, it is your duty to cling to it. How foolish would it be if you're there walking around with that racket? Maybe not convenient, right? Maybe people would make fun of you. Maybe it's a little bit of a hindrance to your the old lifestyle you used to live. But you see one of those, when I was a kid, they had milk bags in school. I grew up in Wisconsin. They made us drink milk all the time. I don't know if anybody else relates to that. But milk came in these little bags. Looked just like blood bags. What if I thought, you know what? I'm tired of this red juice being pumped into me. Let's put in some good old moo juice. And uh, what, what, what would happen to me if I did that? I would definitely die. That's correct, yes. Uh, there, there is no replacement for this. I, I don't get the ability to choose and say, well, you know, I'd rather not have this blood anymore. I'd rather have something else that probably tastes better or is less cumbersome for my lifestyle and the way that I want to live. I couldn't do that because the answer has been provided and I need to hold to it. This is the state of Christianity, but it does not flow well in our world today. As I was thinking, where do we go from here? There, there were a few avenues in my time with the Lord that I felt like our church needs to pay attention to, and I, I hope actually to revisit a, a lot of those topics as we get time uh, m- moving further into the into the year. 
But we need good news, church. Can I get an amen from that? We need some good news. Thank you from the cars. Um, it was uh, last week, it was must have been the first first day of the week on Monday, I turned on the news feed, and, and there there was an eight-year-old girl was shot and killed by having uh, the person who was driving her car go through um, a set-up protester barricade, and two shooters fired off into the vehicle, and an eight-year-old girl lost her life. Boy, the news just loves to ruin your day, I feel like, with stuff, but... Um, that, combined with no limit to amount of bad news I could share with you this morning, has me convinced we, as God's people, need good news. And so that's the theme, that's the subject that we're going to look at. The world that you will look at in our world today um, cries out for things that it cannot find. You will find on the news injustice, fear, and hate. That's what you'll find. I'm hoping you just turn the TV off. But we have good news. We have a righteous judge who has provided a way for you and for me where everything will be laid just one day. We also have a message that he loved you so much that he laid down. Uh, he gave his son to lay down his life to die for you. Not just to die for you, but then to be raised from the grave. And so where we find injustice, where we find fear, with the Christian message, we find the opposite. We find a God who is righteous bringing justice. We find a God bringing hope where there is fear. And we find a God bringing love where there is only hate. This is what we need to talk about more. Amen? We need to get ourselves centered upon the good news. Now, there's a term for this in our Bible. It's the word gospel. Uh, the English word gospel, if you would read it in the original language, is euangelion. Um, it comes from a combination of two words, leilao, which means to speak, and a prefix that means good. It means speaking that which is good. It's literally good news. So every time you hear the word gospel, I want you to think what? Good news. Let's say it together. Gospel means good news. Uh, we are going to take a look at the most prominent passage in the New Testament that gives us the gospel. Paul writes a letter to the church in Corinth, so book of 1 Corinthians if you have your Bibles. And in this church there are a ton of problems. <clears throat> kind of like the American church. <laughs> kind of like what we face all the time. They are extremely confused in this church. And as he gets to the end of the letter, he wants to offer them a reminder of good news. Now, this passage that we're going to look at, it's, it's uh, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, primarily verses 3 and 4, and in, in the, starting into verse 5. Scholars have looked at this, and across the board, whether they're Christian or secular, everybody agrees, this is one of the earliest creeds of the church. In fact, um, atheistic, uh, yeah, I think I think is a, a atheist. Uh, Bart Ehrman uh, has said that uh, he believes this to be written within one or two years of Jesus's death. So we we know the book of First Corinthians is written in the early fifties. So that's when Paul is writing this. But the creed that we're going to read here in this chapter fifteen, it goes all the way back to within 
a couple of years, and that's from a secular standpoint. There are some, in fact, the leading scholar in this is a man named Gary, Gary Habermas, and uh, he cites some who even think within six months this was laid down by the church in a creedal fashion so that they rallied themselves around good news. This is it. I'm, I'm, I'm taking the time to preface it because I want you to understand what we're reading here is fundamental to what it means to be a Christian. This is foundational. This isn't extra gravy on the side. This is the meat and potatoes of our faith right here. So with that, we're going to read through a couple of passages. It's going to be verses 1 through 5 that we're going to cover. And then I've got five quick observations. Um, ultimately, I'm going to share a few things from this passage that, that aren't quite at the center, but they're going to help us to see the importance of the gospel. And you'll, you'll see as we get there. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. Follow along with me, please. Paul writes, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. Now, there's more, there's more, but I, I want to just take this little nugget here. I want to take this small section and really start off with a couple observations that I've designed so that you can recognize the gospel in contrast to the bad news of our world. So we, we live in a time, and I'm going to lead with this, that, that the, the culture of our age today has influenced you, and I don't even know if you realize this, it has influenced you to train you to be the judge. Hold on a minute. Are you the judge? Am I the judge? Uh, you, you really have to recognize it. you got to believe me. Or, and uh, honestly, if you don't believe me, take time to research this. The world that you live in has brainwashed you and me to think that we are the judge and that our main perspective is the one that needs to be upheld. And so you have uh, in our world, and this is probably 10 years old at this point, people talking about speaking your own truth as though you were the arbiter of truth. Anybody with me? Do you see this happening in our culture today? This, this is precisely the main problem. And I'd love to tell you the church has been insulated from this, but it's not. This has crept its way right into our faith so that no matter even what you could be given, you know what? I, I'm really the judge of it. I, I'm the one who, who needs to be convinced. Now, if you think about evidence, who is it that you present evidence to in a court of, court of law? Because the one thing that you'll hear from people is, I'm really not convinced that there's a God. I just need more evidence to believe in God. Who is it that gets evidence in a court? It's the judge that you present the evidence to. It's the jury that you present the evidence to. Are you the judge? Am I the judge? As though I needed evidence? Here's the first point I want you to see from this passage in 1 Corinthians 15. The gospel is not something you choose. It's something you receive. The gospel is not something that you get to choose. It is something that you must 
receive. <clears throat> there is a, um, a, a popular and uh, propagation, it's, it's happening more and more in our world today, of finding out that folks, uh, Christian leaders, uh, Christian singers, uh, Pastors, Christian writers are proclaiming that they're leaving the faith. I don't know if you've if this has made it past your newsfeed at all, but uh, very recently, a very popular band, Hawk Nelson, had their lead singer uh, declare that he no longer believes that there's a God. He wants to, and and I have been uh, watching every interview I can on, on this, trying to peer into the heart of our culture that would cause a person to really say, "Yeah, I don't believe in God anymore." And do you know what the main thing is? The main thing is because they have put themselves in the place of being the judge. Literally, his words, when asked the question, what do you say about the fact of the resurrection? Do you know what his answer was? I wasn't there. How do do you know the resurrection of Jesus is true? How do you know? And by the way, you need to understand our entire faith is predicated on the resurrection. I'm going to get to one of my points I'm going to get to in a moment here. But how do you know that the resurrection is true? Were you there? You... You weren't there, but that's the tenor of the culture we live in. I'll believe it if I, I'll believe if I see it, right? And I wasn't there, so how can I say? I can't say if it's true or not. Listen to me. The gospel is not something you get to choose. It is only something you can receive. Now, you're free to reject it. That's totally fine. You know, you can reject gravity. Gravity's still going to win. You go to the Mackinac Bridge and you can say, you know what, I'm not really convinced in this fancy gravity business. I need to see it with my own eyes. Yeah, if you decide to take a little leap of faith, thinking that it depends on you being the judge, you will find out very quickly, gravity don't care one way. I don't want to make the gospel sound harsh with that, but the gospel is what it is. Like it or not, it's factual. It is true. And so you are not left to be one to decide if it's true. It is. And what do you do with it? You can receive it or you can reject it. Today's world is built on experiences. And for many people who have come to reject the faith, they've done it for one of two reasons. Uh, Either number one, they have not anchored their faith in history so they, they, they live with it in the present. Let me ask you the question. Is the present hard? Is your present hard? Yeah, you're going to, what Jesus promised, in this world you will have trouble. That's right. And so a lot of people have been fed a false kind of gospel. Come to Jesus and everything will be great. Come to Jesus and you'll get healed. Come to Jesus and you'll be wealthy. That has been the message for a lot of Christians. And then what happens when they get sick? What happens when the loved one dies? What happens when they pray and pray and pray, but God doesn't answer? Do you know what their solution is? There must not be a God. Because I ain't convinced of it. And their, their error is they've anchored their faith in the present rather than in historical past. Uh, the second reason is because uh, they are convinced that it's their own judgment that determines truth. So uh, they'll say, show me, or let me try, or I want to see with my own eyes. Um, when, I was a, when I was a kid, my dad would uh, tell me, uh, Ryan, get your shoes on. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go, go work. And I'd say, where? He hated that. And... And it's not until I became a dad that I understood why. 
the, the reason why dads hate to hear like where where are we going is because what that is showing is not a submission to the will of the father to say hey i said this is where we're going we're going to go uh but really what it leaves is a determining factor in the one receiving the command where are we going and then i'll decide if i want to get my shoes on what where what is it we're doing and then i'll make the judgment as to if it's worth my time now i i was never so arrogant like that with my father um, but you can see that that's kind of the undercurrent of asking that question. Our Heavenly Father has given us the answer for sin. There is not a second option. There is only the one. And it's, it's incumbent on us to just receive it. Um, if you don't receive it, you will try to change it. All right, I want to make sure you get this. Because this is what's happening in churches. If you do not receive the gospel, you will try to change it according to what you wish it to be. Uh, when I first met Emily, I asked her if she would go for a cheeseburger with me. And I was going to be super romantic and order ahead of time so that everything was ready. Now, cheeseburgers need to have lettuce and tomatoes and pickles and onions and mayonnaise and are anybody with me here? It's getting close to lunchtime, right? That's what a cheeseburger should have. I ordered two beautiful burgers and we sat down at the table and she took one look at it and she said, can I order something else? She, did, she didn't want to receive what was offered, but the, the inclination is when you see something that you don't like, if you don't receive it, you will try to change it. And I've since learned how to do a better job with Emily, so we've corrected that problem. But this is the error that we find creeping in the church. If we don't like the truth of the gospel, if we don't receive it, we will invariably try to change it. All right, so that's the, that's the first observation. Um, I, I, I actually, let me just re, uh, point out to you in the text where this comes from. Look with me again in verse 1. He says, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you, what's it say? Which you received. He says it <clears throat> again in verse 3. For what I, what's it say? For what I received, I passed on to you. Uh, Rich Mullins has a, a beautiful song, if you're familiar with the um, musical artist Rich Mullins, about the creed. He said, I did not make it, but it is making me. That's the message of the gospel. I didn't invent this. Paul didn't invent this. This has been revealed to us by God. This is what's offered as the solution. And if you hold to it firmly... It will reform you, remake you. All right, second observation. The good news, or the gospel, is not beneficial. It is true. And this has to do with the reason why you need to receive it. Do not mistake the gospel as being so very shallow that it's just benefit. It just benefits you. Think with me some of the things that Jesus taught. Deny yourself and follow me. Jesus says, anyone who doesn't give up everything cannot be my disciple. That's Luke 14.33. Luke 14.27 says, anyone who doesn't carry his cross cannot be my disciple. Now, naturally, none of that would seem beneficial to you. So people who are worldly-minded, who have been kind of brainwashed by that culture of our world, they will look to the gospel and receive it only insofar as they think it has benefit to them. 
But if they don't see the benefit, again, they won't want it. Listen to me now. That is not why you receive the gospel. Not because it has benefits to it, but because it is true. The gospel is true. This is what Paul says in verse 3. I want to I point you to his emphasis here. He says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of what? Come on, sh- shout it out for me. I heard Jerry. Let me get everybody. I passed on to you as first importance. The, the, the gospel is not some secondary type of optional. By the way, this is really great. If you come to church, you also get the gospel. Limited time offer. No... No, no, no CODs, cash on delivery. You, uh, you do not recognize the gospel as being something that only provides benefit to you. You receive it because it's true. Paul says this is of first importance. The Greek word there is protis. It means it leads everything. And Paul can say that because it is true. And so problem with our world today is that people tend to only be interested in something if they think it has personal value or benefit. Come on, you guys, you know that this is true, right? If you look at our world, people chase after those things that they think have value because they're the judge. And as soon as it doesn't have value, I let it go. I don't care to have it anymore. And that is why you see people, even Christian leaders, dropping like flies from the gospel because they have been offered a false gospel. We need to make sure we get the good news correct. Number three, the good news is not about moral teaching. It is about the resurrection. The good news, and this is going to be a really great place for an amen. The good news is not about moral teaching. It's about the resurrection. Amen. Amen. If you look look with me again in verse 3, you'll see there's really two main parts to the centerpiece of the gospel. This ancient creed that was within months of Jesus' resurrection. He says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter. Now, if you're counting the ands, you might count four things there. Let's just talk about this for a moment, okay? So, he died for our sins and was buried. He rose on the third day and he appeared. That, that kind of sounds like four different things. It's really two. It's really two main things that honestly you could have one because the other's implied. So the two main things are number one, Jesus died for your sins. And then that was proved valid because he was buried. So I want, I want you to track with the, the second half of that. And he was buried. Uh, that comes as a, as a validation of his death. You'll notice the, the phrase, according to the scriptures, doesn't come after the buried. It comes after the main point, which is he died for your sins. And then there's the, what we would see as the third one. And he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Now, can you be raised without first dying? This is not a trick question. You, you, you got to die first, right, in order to get raised. So the gospel is entirely about the resurrection. Uh, the, the two things that are mentioned according to Scripture is he died for our sins and he was raised on the third day. Both of those according to Scripture. But then the witnesses, right? Because then he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve, the appearances are validating the raising. So does everybody kind of get the structure here? The burial validates the dying and the appearing validates the raising. The gospel is not about moral teachings. And this is one thing that I'll hear from people is that, well, you know, uh, Christianity has got a good lot of moral teachings to it. 
Uh, let me press the pause button for a moment. If there's no resurrection, your moral teaching's not worth a hill of beans. If, if Jesus is in the grave and there is no God who has come and been made in the flesh to unite us again in reconciliation with the judge, then what do I care about your moral teaching if there's no God? Your moral teaching is only good as so far as you can reach because it's yours. It's not his. Unless there is a God and this God has found a way to unite us again with him, now moral teaching has value. But all of that hinges upon one central tenant to our faith, and that is the resurrection. If you, if you have your Bibles, just fast forward to uh, verse 14. So ch- chapter 15, verse 14. Look what Paul says. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is what? What's it say? It's useless. Now, I know uh, some people are tempted to say that about me, but you know, you're know too kind for that, right? No, preaching is not in you, not useless. And what does he say about your faith? Keep going, what's a little further? And your faith is what? So, so is your faith. Your faith is also useless. If there is no resurrection, then I'm wasting my breath, and I don't know why you're here. This is why the gospel makes at its centerpiece not moral teaching but the resurrection. Now, could you list for me some other moral teachers? You guys heard of Gandhi? Buddha? Right? We, we, we could fill an entire wall full of moral teachings from moral teachers. But, you know, you could go to Gandhi's grave. You can go to the Dalai Lama's grave. You can go to Buddha's grave. But you know where you can't go? Jesus' grave. Because the tomb is empty. Amen? The tomb is empty. And this is why the gospel message must not be on moral teaching. It must be on the resurrection. And so if you instead, if you've come to faith thinking, oh yeah, I need to learn how to be a better person and not actually die with Christ and be raised a new life, if you think it's about moral teaching, I would likely think you're going to leave and you'll not find this gospel compelling because that's a false gospel. It's not about moral teaching. It's about the resurrection. Fourthly, the good news is not something man created It is something man has witnessed. So another argument that I'll hear is that all religion is just a creation of man. This is a good evolutionary argument. That really as societies were developing 50,000 years ago, what they discovered is that if they developed a faith in a godlike entity, that helped unite people together. Do Do you know where you can find that in the archaeological record? Nowhere. Do you know where you can find that in the fossil record? No. Do you know where that comes from? They make that up. That's totally made up. Uh, They'll look to cultures that practice animism and pagan religious rites, and then they'll impose on this, this view that religion is something created by man to form culture. Christianity was not created by man. The message of the gospel was not invented by man. It was witnessed. And so we find this as well in the text here. Uh, Two places. There's two witnesses given to us. Uh, If you can remember, we've already kind of covered one. He died for our sins. How do you know that? According to the... And he was raised on the third day. How do you know that? According to the... Do you know what the first witness is? It's scripture. The first witness that you can believe something to be true is because it's in God's word. I'm telling you, church, God always keeps his word. 
He will never break his word. And if you were going to be slick like the devil, if you were the devil, do you know how to trick people? All you got to do, first thing you got to do is get them to doubt what? God's word. Go back with me in Genesis chapter 3. The, the evil one in the form of snake comes to Eve. Now, Eve did not speak directly with God. Adam did. So Adam got the word directly. This is why the devil goes to Eve. And the first question the devil asks is, do you remember? Did God really say you can't eat? The very first thing to, to shift you all away from truth is to get you to doubt or question or misplace the authority of the witness of God's word. We, we didn't create it, but we have a witness to it. There's another witness, though, if you look back in the text. On the third day, according to the scriptures, verse 5, and that he appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living. By the way, that's a super important part of the message because the fact they're still living means that if this wasn't true, you could, you could overturn it by going to ask them. They had living witnesses at the time that this was being that this was passed on to the church. Man did not create the gospel. Instead, man is a witness to it. And scripture is a witness to it. Nobody would create Christianity. The message that says, love your enemies. <laughs> By the way, how are you doing with that, church? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Jesus says, no greater love has a man than this, than to lay down his life. For his friends. Yeah, we're all kind of humbled hearing this right now, right? Nobody's going to create that. That has been given to you. You get to receive it or not. All right, last one. The good news is not optional. It must be passed on. The good news is not optional. It must be passed on. We as a church are going to do some work. You guys ready to stretch your muscles? You ready to work? Oh, I didn't come to church to work. Come on, you guys. You ready to work? Here's, here's what I want from you. I want us to begin to exercise the spiritual muscles of understanding the gospel. We got to understand it. And then we have to share it. I don't, I don't know why we're here if it's not to know the gospel, know the one true love, loving, living God, and then pass on that message. The gospel is not optional. It's made to be passed on. You can see this in the text. Let me just show you again three places. Verse 1, Paul says, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. Verse 2, by this gospel you're saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. It's the, it's the Greek word to proclaim, to, to, to shout it out. Uh, it, there's a beautiful word that's used for this because it does not include convincing. When, um, when my sister and I were small, uh, at my parents' house, they have a wood stove. And my dad told her, don't touch the stove. And guess what she did? She touched the stove. That's right. Look, the stove's going to burn you, right? I, I, I'm, not, I'm not making that up. That's going to happen. This is factual, right? This is true. You don't have to believe me because it's beneficial. You don't have to, I don't have to convince you of it. It's factual. That's what this word proclaim means. That's what the word preach means. It has zero emphasis upon trying to manipulate or convince you of anything. It's just true. Jesus died for your sins. He was buried. He rose on the third day and he appeared. Ah, I don't care if you believe me. That's true. 
It needs to be proclaimed. One other place you see this is verse 3. Again, he says, For what I received, what did he do with it? He passed it on. So, the gospel is not something you choose. It's something you receive. It's not beneficial. It's factual. It's true. It's not about moral teachings. It's about the resurrection. It's not something man creates. It's something man has a witness to. And it's not optional. It must be passed on. I want to leave you with just three points of application for how you can take this subject of the gospel. And we're going to continue. This is why I'm asking you to work and stretch those spiritual muscles. Because for a couple weeks, we're going to study the gospel together. The good news must be three things. First of all, it must be received. You will see this as what the Corinthian church did in verse 1. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. Step number one. It will do you no good to listen to me preach as much as my wife loves it. (laughs) It will do no good to listen to me unless you hear the gospel and receive it. That's step number one. You don't get to choose. You don't get to change. You get to receive it or not. Step number two is it must be... And I'm I'm looking at my notes here because I know I changed it. Uh, Stood upon is what I have there, right? That means to remain firmly, immovably, steadfast. That's what it means to stand upon. I, uh, I'm trying to think of the word that I had, I had put in for that. I think it would be the gospel must be uh, believed is the idea. Oh, kept. That's the word. Kept. The gospel must be kept. And then thirdly, uh, you have there in your sermon note says held firmly. That's the word echo, which means to have along with you. So uh, practiced is what it needs. It needs to be used. It needs to be practiced. It means to believe it in such a way to continually follow it. So track with me on these three things. Number one, received, kept, and used. You guys have that? It's like Smokey the Bear. Stop, drop, and roll, right? Here we go. Gospel, received, kept, and used. And I want to give you a bit of a warning as I end here. Look with me again in verse 2. And this is where we're going to wrap it up. Because Paul says, You are saved by this gospel if you hold firmly. That means kept to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, what's it say? You have believed in vain. Man, I see that happening in our world today. And I see that happening because people don't understand the gospel. They've been brainwashed to think they're the judge. You just receive it, and then you keep it, and then you use it. If you had some rare blood disease, and the only way you can be kept alive is with a continual infusion of it, you best receive that blood. And then you best keep it, and then you best use it, practice it. That's the same for us when it comes to the blood of Jesus, when it comes to the gospel. Let's pray together this morning.